evening, everybody. This is Huge Pop Wrestling Podcast. My name is Huge Pop. Down below is Rico. Tonight, I am so blessed and um to have the master of a spine buster, the enforcer, the ECW original. He has held titles in many promotions. It is none other than C.W. Anderson. Welcome to the show, my guy. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I love that musical intro, man. That always gets me hyped up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty gnarly. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, um, as you can see, we got a match in the background, and um, to start it off, I mean, I wanted to start it off differently, but you shared some interesting information about this match that we're watching in the background. Could you just elaborate on what that what's going on? That was the first show back at the ECW Arena after ECW folded, and it was Shane Douglas's Hardcore Homecoming. We were the first match. We were the first ones to come through the curtain, Simon Diamond and myself, and we wrestled Chris Chetty and Mikey Whitbread that night. Um, so many good matches on that show. It was when we come through the curtain, I remember we get in the ring and Simon telling me when they get in the match gear race starts, he says, it gets no hotter than it does right now. And we're not talking about the heat. We're talking about the electricity in the room. He said, we might as well go home right now, but it was easily now. I know I elaborated and said it was like 130 some degrees in there, but it was probably 110 in that building that night easily. Did you fans understand what he just said? 110 yeah. degrees. Oh. In the building. Because you're here building. several times during commentary that night. Joey Styles goes, damn, it's hot in here. And it was. It was scalding in that building. Damn. You hit that props. triple digits, and that's just, yeah, that's too warm, man. <laughs> I've wrestled some outside shows. Um, a couple years ago, I wrestled for Tommy Dreamer's um, House of Hardcore, and we were up in Virginia, West Virginia. And it was the, like July, and it was a black canvas. And Shane Helms, Hurricane Helms, and I opened the show. And it was so hot. It was one of those when you hit the mat, you immediately came up because you could hear your skin burn when it hit the mat. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> but no. It, was, it, was, it was that hot night, that night, man. But, man, the electricity, our adrenaline, also our adrenaline was running through the roof. So when we got done, we're sitting in the back out, outside, pouring sweat, drinking a drinking a beer trying to cool ourselves down yes sir i don't care if it's a warm beer ice cold beer man. i wouldn't care uh, yes it wouldn't have mattered Order. <laughs> <That's right>. absolutely <laughs> so, so it's known that you are not a you were not a fan of, of wrestling when you were growing up you explain hated it. How, you hated yeah. It? Is there a yeah reason why? I, I mean i i don't know i you know i'm 13, 14 at the time before I kind of fell in love with it. But before that, I was a Saturday Night Live guy. I watched Saturday Night Live. That was during the time of Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, those guys. And I wasn't a, I wasn't a wrestling fan because you know, everybody knows my baseball background that has followed me throughout the years. Uh, you know, uh, a great, good, great, you know, whatever you want to call it, a baseball player. So I was more into baseball. But my little brother, Kevin, you know, he's three years younger than I. He was the wrestling fan. And NWA was hot in our area because we grew up right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, and pretty much the same area I'm still at right now. And it was a July day, like July 4th or 5th, 1984 or 5. It, the match is on YouTube. And he uh, that Saturday morning, it, was, it came on Saturday morning, and he looked at me and he goes, he said, look, watch wrestling with me just one time. Just watch this one match. He said, and if you don't like it, I'll never ask you again. You know, this was the little brother looking up to the big brother. So I was like, okay, I'll sit down with you and watch it. So we sat down and the match was the Rock and Roll Express versus Uncle Ivan Koloff, you know, um, okay. and Crusher and Crusher Khrushchev. And okay. it was the day 
the Rock and Roll Express won when uh, Ricky Victory rolled Ivan Koloff for the belt, and they, they won the belts. I think it was the first time they came into NWA when they won them. If I remember, sir, I could be wrong. And I remember they went in and us jumping around. You know, we're little kids. We're just jumping around because the Americans, the Rock and Roll Express, had just defeated the Russians. And I was hooked from there on out. About 14. Never 15. thought I would be. Yeah, I was four, 14, depending on the year, because I was born in 71. So I was possibly 14, 13, 14, 15, somewhere along in there. Right. And I never thought I'd be into wrestling. I, was, I always thought baseball was going to be my career. Um, I even did it when I was like 16 years old in a guy's backyard and had a ring and did it for like a few months. And my baseball coach made me stop. He's like, you got a gift. He says, you'll be going pro. He said, you need to stop before you hurt yourself. Nice. So can we elaborate on your baseball career? Uh, yeah. Are there any good, did you go to college and play ball? Did you? I went, I went to college at when I'm, I come out of high school. Um, I had like Carolina Duke, uh, who was the team from Florida? It was a, I think Florida State came up and scouted me. But uh, the summer leagues, I was playing, and I didn't know the San Diego Padres were there scouting our pitcher. His name was Steve Jones. And they clocked me from – because I was a catcher, 170 pounds, 175 soaking wet. And they clocked me throwing from my knees at 90 miles an hour harder than he could throw it to me off the mound. Throwing down a second. You know, I was your typical white catcher. I couldn't run for that, for nothing. But I had a good bat at a, you know, I always say a 6'2 and a 20 speed. So I wasn't very fast, but I was very intelligent, and I had a cannon. I loved showing my arm off, picking guys off first, second, and third from my knees because Benito Santiago was my idol. Um, so I loved showing my arm off. And then being my mom, being the mother hen she was, you know, I look back on it now, but at the time she told me, you need to go to college, you need to go to college. The pros will always be there. Hindsight 2020, I should have went to the pros because uh, they wanted to sign me, uh, send me to Arizona, and it was like $20,000 and a $2,000 signing bonus. You got to figure this is 1989 before the Latin explosions and catchers come through because, you know, it was Tony Pena, it was Benito Santiago, and Sandy Alomar Jr. was his backup, and there wasn't really many other Latin catchers. Um, so I signed, I turned it down, went to college in, in Columbus, Ohio, where my uncle was uh, – living and working at and blew my arm out in October showing my arm off. I hyper extended it trying to show my arm off and pick a guy off first base. And it kind of never was the same since then. Well, Rico, here's him and I were talking this afternoon about uh, that one question. And I think, go ahead, Rico, ask that question. I, see, he already oh, answered well, it. it, it kind of pretty much his answer. That's why I was wondering like, Oh, why did you turn down the Padres and everything? Yeah. It was my mom said the money was was crap. And again, she is a I love her to death, but she is a very protective. Don't go outside the bubble, stay around type. And she, she talked me out of it. I was a 17, 18 year old kid that just didn't know. I mean, we barely went out of the county. We didn't travel or do anything like that. So I was listening. I was being the good son, listening to her. And it was. In a way, it was a huge mistake. Um because I, I was a really good baseball player. And, you know, I still had an arm all up until I stopped playing softball a few years ago, uh, but nothing like I did before. I, you know, I could stand at home plate and throw it over the left field fence on a line. Um, I've actually broken people's fingers throwing the ball to, to the bases because I threw it so hard. The pitchers would always say they could never hurt anybody a baseball sizzle when I threw it because it had so much backspin. But, Ooh. again, if I'd have went 
the baseball route, we wouldn't be here talking today. I would have never been C.W. Anderson. I mean, it kind of give and take. I love the career I had in wrestling, but I always wonder what if with, with baseball. You yeah, follow baseball I was just about to say that what if, but I mean, look what happened. I mean, you went down the that, wrestling path. That, and... <laughs> the guy that they um, got Brad Osmus. I can't remember if he was signed at the same time I was going to be signed or the year before or after, but I was a better catcher than he was, and he's in the Hall of Fame. And so <laughs> I think that's where where wow. it kind of goes. I just kind of kick myself in the ass with that. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to say thank you to your mom, you know. But I'll. It's thank you because we never. You yeah. Know, like, never had a chance and to talk to you. But what's kind of funny is you know Simon Diamond was signed. Well, he was drafted the year before. Was going to be drafted the year before I was by the Padres, and then I mean he was a catcher as well. It's just kind of crazy how we ended up teaming up and being the extreme horsemen with two guys that were baseball catchers. Nice. That's, that's that sick. is crazy. Yeah. Did you still follow baseball? No. Man, I don't watch hardly any pro sports in, anymore. I kind of quit watching basketball after Jordan quit because I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. Jordan's the goat to me because uh, I grew up during his era. Um, I watch a little bit. I watch basically watch football during the season just to have something to watch on Sundays. But I don't hardly watch any baseball, basketball. I watch a lot of golf because I like playing golf. Nice. So we, you and I would be enemies uh, back in the day because I'm a big Detroit Pistons fan. So, Joe oh, absolutely, Newmark, Isaiah yeah. Thomas, you know, born and raised Yeah, <laughs> so, they're, they're, I mean, yeah. they still talk. You know, Isaiah Thomas still talking his hatred yeah. for Michael Jordan even nowadays. That's why I like I like watching the sports shows like Undisputed, which you know today was the last day of Undisputed uh, with uh, Shannon Sharp and um, Skip Bayless. Yeah. But I, I like watching shows like that. But and I just. With work and wrestling on the weekends, I just don't. To me, I don't have time to sit down like I used to. Right, right. Oh, we got a first. I'm just going to give respect to the chat. Uh, hey, CW Anderson, you should come down and do a show for Pro Pro Wrestling Extreme in Streeter, Illinois. All they got to do is contact me, man. I'll go pretty much anywhere. Awesome. Because I'm, awesome. I'm still, I am still busy today. I I work for a company here in North Carolina called AML. They're the ones if you've heard of Wrestlecade. They're the yeah. ones that promote WrestleCade. And then my tag partner, Preston Quinn, he just started a new promotion a few months ago called Mid-Atlantic Territory Wrestling, where we, we're wrestling almost every weekend. He's got six or seven companies up under him trying to bring back Territory Wrestling. And it's really old school stuff. I mean, he don't allow dives. He don't allow pass-bys. He don't allow leg slaps, any of that stuff. Uh, it's a really old school type feel wrestling. And, I mean, even now, we got 20-some shows the rest of the year just with his company. Wow. So uh, I'm I, still busy. Wow. And I, I will say this. I'm a, I just recently, in the last year and a half, um, have became an indie, indie wrestling fan because um, down here in Florida, I live in the Panhandle, and they have uh, Adrian Whisper is the promoter, um, and he uh, has X, XIW Extreme Impact Wrestling. And I'm telling you what, watching an indie show compared to watching a, um, AEW or WWE, is not that they don't even compare because in and those indie shows you guys go balls to the wall and that shit hurts it's gotta hurt <laughs> you know that that's kind of how i made my name to the extent before ecw was the indie shows and traveling and putting the miles in and stuff like that and a lot of guys that are you know up top nowadays they've never had to do the grind and you see a lot of veterans a lot of ones that they, they appreciate 
their success and when they, they become famous more than the ones that didn't have to grind and more the ones that were just given to them. And you can tell the ones that, that appreciate the grind as opposed to the ones that were just given to them. Rico? Rico? So out of all the places you've been able to go, man, what, what would you say is your favorite city that you've wrestled in? My favorite city would have to be Tokyo at Corrigan Hall. Um, at one time, they called me the king of Corrigan Hall. That was so popular there to an extent, you know, the, the favorite Gaijin. I've got there's a lot of places in the United States. Uh, I wrestled my best friend, Steve Carino, in, Melbourne, in uh, Brisbane, Australia. One time, that was a beautiful place to be. But I think just Japan in general is my favorite place. Just the culture, the fans, the wrestling style. Uh, I love Osaka. I love Tokyo. I, I just love Tokyo because it's so modernized, but just a great place to be. I think that because when you wrestle in Japan, I'm sorry, guys, I didn't mean to interrupt, but when you wrestle in Japan, that style of wrestling, you know, when I came through with Hashimoto and Masato Tanaka and Shinjiro Tani, when we were wrestling, it was more of a strong style. You know, they were beating the hell out of us over there. Was, you know, Samoa Joe got his start there. And then I think CM Punk came over for one tour with us before, you know, WWE signed him. Um, but you get done wrestling there and you feel like you've accomplished something because their style is so impactful. Gotcha. So you're from over in the Carolinas did, in the Indies. Did you ever run across the Hardys and Joey Matthews and all those guys? We all started together. Okay. We, uh, I was, from what I was told, we're the largest group to ever start together, to ever make it big. It was the Hardys, Joey Abs, Joey Matthews, Christian York, because they were, did a little, you know, Joey Matthews was Joey Mercury. Christian York was in ECW with us. Lodi, Shane Helms, you had the Ducks, um, Steve Carino. Uh, you had a few other guys as well that, there was like 15 or 16 of us. We all started, you know, we wrestled with Matt and Jess Omega promotion. And then Greg Mazoriak had a promotion called SCW in Raleigh that we all wrestled at and just switched back and forth. I think Steve and I were the only ones to get to ECW. Oh, and then you had Chili Willie, who was one of my students that came to ECW a little bit later. So it was a large group of us that started together that were wrestling on independence for a long time before we all made it. Chili Willie was on the show about a year and a half ago. So that was interesting to talk to him. So yeah. now you am I correct? You didn't you didn't you you trained yourself, correct? Pretty much. Yeah. I, there was a little training school down from where I, where I live. And we just a few of us would get in the ring and just train each other to an extent. And then I would just learn on the road as I go. When I was given the Anderson name and was tagging with my partner Pat. I was kind of learning up under him and then getting in the ring with the Ivan Koloffs, the Wahoo McDaniels, uh, Jimmy Vance, guys like that. And then I learned early on to sit with those guys and ask them and, you know, to teach me psychology if they had time to watch my match and any critiquing they could give me. And I didn't want them to tell me the things I did right. I wanted to tell them what I did wrong. And then I learned from them that they would give me the small details of things I did wrong that made more impactful. And then in 1998, when I went to the power plant and did that three days of hell, I, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker and Mike Winter and Pez Watley, God rest his soul, turned a rough edge C.W. Anderson and made him into what got my job at ECW. They fine-tuned everything and made things make more sense and the less of less is more type deal. There you go. So 
we know the the CW in your name, but where did the Anderson come from? Is that a family thing or? No, it was my very first show <laughs> was December 4th of 1993, 1994, excuse me. And the guys that were wrestling on the show, the uh, promoters, they put me under a hood and called me El Chico because they wanted me to mimic a Razor Ramon thing, just to kind of get my feet wet. Well, there was two guys wrestling on the show, Pat and Rocky Anderson, that were given the Anderson name by Gene before Gene had passed away. And Rocky was probably about my age now, so he was retiring, and Pat was in his 30s, and Pat was looking somebody to tag with, so I kind of looked the bill, even though I had a goatee. I looked more like Big Boss Man than I did in Anderson at the time because I had a, more hair than I do now, of course. But I had the goatee, and I looked a big boss man. So Pat sat me down and got to talking to me and told me this bill, you know, would I like to be an Anderson? And, you know, growing up here, I always hated the Andersons and hated Ric Flair and, you know, the Horseman deal. But I figured, what the hell? I said, yeah, sure, because I didn't know what I was going to be. So he said, I want you to be my partner. He said, we got to think of a three-letter name for you because, you know, I'm Pat. You got Ole and Arn. It just kind of goes with it. So for like two weeks, I was thinking of Ike and Cal. I mean, I couldn't come up with anything. So there was a guy that was a manager for the little local promotion. He was actually my baseball coach my entire life. His name was Randy Driver. And I said, Mr. Randy, I said, I can't come up with anything. I don't know what to call myself as an Anderson. He said, I just use your initials and call yourself CW. And it just kind of stuck. So once I started calling myself CW Anderson, I was learning, you know, you got to have some kind of hook, something people can remember you by. Well, I am a huge – Steve Carino says I'm the blackest redneck you'll ever meet. So that's – because I grew up a huge – you know, I grew up on an all-dirt road where I was the only white family. My best friend to today is a black guy. And so he's the best man at my upcoming wedding. But – so I was a huge hip-hop hip and rap fan, but I was a big Tupac fan. So I saw Tupac's – one of his album covers where he's doing this. I think it was All Eyes on Me. So I yep. saw this, and there was a guy called Tom Cassati up in the northeastern part running around that was a wrestling manager, and he always come out and did this. So one day I just kind of put it together and got this, the CW hook. Nice. Awesome. I like it. <laughs> I, always tell, I always tell people, when you, you know, once you see this, it's all downhill from there. That's all I got. So a rap fan, huh? What is Tupac your favorite? Eminem now, but it used to be Tupac. By far. For a long, for a long time, but you know, it's like I, I tell people, I, I love Eminem just for the fact. Not, it doesn't have to do anything with his skin color. It's just the fact that his his rhymes and his schemes make so much sense. And he said one time, and I tell people this in my wrestling seminars when you're just structuring your matches, Eminem finds two words that rhyme. He said, and the best part of being a, a rapper is taking those two words and intricately weaving the verses to make them match each other and i tell people to use that scenario when coming up with their matches nice nice so you mentioned seminars um how important are seminars to wrestlers up up and coming wrestlers um newbies even even um seasoned wrestlers how are those are those important things to do very important especially nowadays because there's so many people that think they're wrestlers you know the weekend warriors and they're getting people to get trained under them. They train people because other ones, you know, guys don't know any better. And if you can do seminars for people that have been somewhere and done that, 
You know, you go to a Dudley seminar, you go to down in Texas and go to Booker T's or come up here. You know, you can get Dr. Tom Pritchard um, to do a seminar. I did a seminar with him where it was myself, my partner, Preston Quinn and Dr. Tom Pritchard. And we did a seminar, an all weekend seminar. And my partner, Preston and I were, were such huge tag team guys that when he started teaching tag team psychology, I mean, we were like little kids ourselves. We were learning, you know, we've been doing this 30 years. Um, but seminars from people that have been there, done that and have a good reputation are very good. Cause there's, there's people now, and y'all know you've heard them uh, that are up top that says they don't think they can be taught anything by veterans, which is complete horseshit. If you don't think you can be taught anything, you need to sell your boots and go do something else because you've learned everything in this business. I still learn things. I had Arn Anderson a few months ago in a match where I was tagging with Brock in a six man. And Arn took something that we were trying to figure out and made a small tweak to it that we just overlooked and made the biggest difference. And it taught me so much just from a small tweak coming from Arn Anderson. And when he got done with it, I'm sitting here with the dumbfounded look. Like, how in the hell did I not think of that? And because he's Arn Anderson, he's been there, done that. And that's why we learn from people like that. My brother, go ahead, Rico. Sorry. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I was just, you know, anything you do, you always learn. You, you constantly keep learning no matter what you're doing in your life. You always keep learning. You have to get better because one of my things that I want to do in this business is leave it better than I found it. And that's what I try to instill in guys now because, you know, Sergeant Bud Lee Parker was so hard on me training to make me a better person and make me a better wrestler that I want to do it the same guys because I can tell these guys, I'm not your friend. I'm not going to put my hand on your back and pat you and tell you things. Okay. Because I can, if I tell you something in an aggressive way where I'm pissed off, if you go to do it again, you're going to have me in the back of your mind. Cause I still do things today. If I go to do it, Sergeant Butterly Parker's in the back of my mind screaming at me. Why did you doing something that stupid? You know, better. Not that everything's okay because I'm the type of guy. I don't need a safe space or a therapy dog. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, why we talk all the time about how important like AEW has Aaron Anderson in the back. People need to listen to him. People and they don't. To, and and people need to listen to Sting and people, you know, and they don't. And it's they don't. Jerry Lynn, Sting. you got Jerry Lynn, Chris Daniels, um, Arn Anderson. You did have Steven Ringle, Steven Regal at the time. You got in Sting. Yeah. You got and you got FTR who who are Carolina boys as well that you can listen to because they've been up top. They're they're the best tag team in the world. You got Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal. You got guys like that that you can listen to, but a lot of them think they know everything and they don't want to listen to them. Yeah. Yep, that's a shame. So. Got that cockiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're the ones that don't that don't know the grind. Mm-hmm. So you're in ECW. Just got there. What was your first impression and what are your interactions with the one and only spoiler Paul Heyman? My first interaction was it's, I was scared to death to be there. You see the guys on TV and you sit in the locker room and you, and I am a, I'm a, even though my character CW Anderson is this badass spit in your face, fight anybody. Chris Wright is a different person. I'm very quiet. I'm an introvert. I'm very awkward with a lot of things. So when I get there and see all these people that I've seen on TV and how they are, 
I'm in my corner and I didn't, you know, before I would wrestle, I would sit there until my name was called. I didn't put my boots on or anything. I sit in my corner and I'm quiet, just like you're taught. Um, my first interaction with Paul Heyman was my buddy. This is the, how I got my job at ECW was my buddy had a tryout down in Georgia. He and I, the night before, his name was Curtis White. He, his name was, if you go back near the end of WCW, his name was Toad. He tagged with the PG-13 against um, the Young Dragons, I think they were called, near the end. So he and I wrestled the public enemy in South Carolina one night. He's like, look, I got to try out at ECW because his tag partner was Lodi. Both of them were my students. And Lodi, through Raven, through Dreamer, got Toad his tryout, Curtis tryout. He's like, come with me. You know, if you can't get in the ring, at least you can, you know, politics, say hello. Carino's there. And me and Carino were friends from years ago uh, here in the Carolinas. Simon Diamond, who was Lance Diamond at the time, was the same way. You can say hello to them and hang out. I didn't want to go. I had just started seeing this new girl. I was all about her. And he literally drugged me to the tryout. So I'm standing around the ring saying hello, talking to Steve. Toad has his little tryout with Angel from the Baldies. He gets done. Nova's running the tryouts. Nova leans to the ropes and looks at me and goes, Chris, do you have your gear? I'm like, yeah, it's in the car. He goes, well, run and get it real quick. So I run, throw my gear on. I get in the ring, and he puts me in the ring with Simon Diamond. And we run a little five-minute spot match, get done. Simon or Nova tells me, you know, I got really good timing, chemistry, blah, blah, blah. I get out, and I hear somebody in the sitting in the bleachers scream at Bill Alfonso to get the ball guy back in the ring. Fonzie looks at me and goes, Daddy, he wants you back in the ring. I'm like, who? It's Paul Heyman sitting with the Dudleys and Taz. And they throw me back in the ring for like the next hour, hour. And it felt like two hours. I'm in there. They're throwing different guys at me, running spots, doing different things. The tryouts are over with. Um, I go in the back to get cleaned up. They're starting to let people in. And I, I, I still remember this to, like it's a flat burn in my brain. I'm at the sink i'm spitting up blood from where i bumped and hit the turnbuckle so hard the door opens to my left and in walks paul Heyman, hat long black vest on uh trench coat on walks right up to me and sticks his hand out and goes hey i'm paul Heyman. it's nice to meet you i draw my hand off i said hey paul i'm chris wright it's an honor sir he starts asking me he says you know where are you he says where are you wrestling at how long you've been wrestling blah 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 i said well i'm at the power plant um in Atlanta, I, I said, uh, you know, I said, he said, do you have a contract there? And I was like, no, sir. They told me literally like a few weeks before they didn't think I had the skills to be at WCW, that I didn't have the talent. He said, well, who do you wrestle as? What's your wrestling name? I said, C.W. Anderson. He goes, I knew it. In classic Paul voice, he says, you look like an Anderson. You had the left punch like Arn, the spine buster. And he says, don't leave before I speak to you. He says, you're more than welcome to hang out backstage. I said, I appreciate that, sir. So the show's about getting ready to start. Jim Molino comes up to me and goes, are you CW? I said, yes, sir. He said, Paul wants to see you in the back. So I go back there. I go in the dressing room. He's sitting there with Vito LaGrasa, Skullbone Crush, Danny Dorn and Roadkill. He introduces me to them. He says, you're tagging with Vito. Your third match. Welcome to ECW. There you go. I got my match. I got a match there, and we were in the – Carolina's next week and I drove there and then I drove to Florida a week after that. And that's kind of how I got my start with ECW. Well, was your relationship with um, Paul Heyman always that good? And yes. in the during the entire time at ECW, it was like my very first match 
or excuse me, not that first match, but the second or third match I was in, he put me over, which I got heat with Bubba Dudley because of that, because nobody goes over in their first matches at ECW. And I later ended up getting having to do a promo with him, and Balls hit me with a chair shot as kind of a hazing receipt for going over. I'll find that out later. Um, and Paul was always big on me. Uh, a few weeks later, I'm in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I do a super kick. And I'm dancing around with one leg up like Mr. Like Karate Kid style. And after the match, I'm walking back and Bubba grabs me and jacks me up in the corner and tells me, he says, you're a fucking heel. He said, you need to start acting like one. He said, you're Paul's flavor of the month. And for some reason, he's big on you. So start acting like a fucking heel. He said, are we clear? And I was like, yes, sir. And even right near the end, the massacre on 34th Street, after my match with Tommy, before Tommy put me over, I'm sitting getting changed. Paul comes up to me and gets down on one knee, puts his hands on my knees and goes, are you leaving me? And I was like, no, Paul. I said, I'd never leave you. He, he, I said, I'm happy here. He said, there's rumors. I'm hearing rumors that you're going to WCW. I don't know where the hell he got that from. And I was like, Paul, I said, look, you and Tommy give me my chance. Give me a break. I said, I will be here until the day the doors close. I said, I am that type of man. And I didn't leave. And then, you know, he didn't return the favor the same because he never told us we were we were closing. Oh, and then it was years that. later. What was it? Five years ago when he and I got in that Twitter war because I'm told the accusations of him being filming rollerball when he's supposed to be in California saving us. He thinks I made the shit up, but it was actually the higher ups telling me that that he was out there filming the movie instead of. Um, so allegedly, let's put that out there. You have to say that crap nowadays. He's allegedly out there filming the movie Rollerball when he's supposed to be saving us. So when I did that in the interview, and I said that in the interview for years, and all of a sudden I get you, he gets wind of it, and he starts blasting me on Twitter. And then all his little crony Twitter followers go and, like, they start blasting me and calling me all kinds of names and all kinds of crap. And then when I come back with my facts, crickets. <laughs> Pen drops. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I have no problem with Paul. Not one. The only thing I've ever said the entire time, and ECW has been closed since 2001, was be man enough to tell us that we were closed. We found out by you sitting on Raw with Jim Ross commentating that ECW was done. Mm. That was it. And then we're all, all owed all this high amounts of money. So, but I'm always grateful for Paul giving me a chance. To, to spread my wings, so to speak, and for Tommy to agree into it as well. Gotcha. Rico? That kind of like goes until my question was, um, so what is your personal opinion when WWE tried to bring back ECW? You mean you mean the the Disney fied version of ECW? <laughs> the Disney fied version. I'm writing that shit down. So, Disney fied. <laughs> I get a call from Tommy one day. And he goes, Vince wants to hire you. And I said, you're full of shit. I said, that's not possible. He goes, yeah. He said, look, we're bringing back ECW. He said, there's a lot of steam with, with ECW right now. And Paul and Vince is letting us bring it back. He goes, Paul and I are control. He said, or, you know, we have say so over everything. He said, you and I are picking our feud right back up where we started, where we left off at. Um, he says, you just got to say your sign. I said, so I don't have to go to Ohio Valley. He goes, nope. I said, and you and Paul have complete control. No Vince. He said, yeah. I said, well, for you, I'll sign. And most of us, you know, Danny Dorn and guys like that, we all signed for a rock bottom, bare minimum. But there was supposed to be 
bonuses on the makeup on the end, which where you make your, your money back. Um, after the first show at the ECW arena, when I wrestled Sabu, Vince saw it, didn't like how it looked on TV and took complete control of it and started putting his people in there. And from there on out, it was never ECW. And I could not wait to get fired from that company. <laughs> no, it was you, you hell. Can tell it wasn't the, uh, the same. It just no. wasn't the same as the original. You could tell. Nope. If, he, if, if Vince was smart, he'd have let Paul and Tommy run it, let us run our smaller places like the arena and like ECW did. Let them do it. You'll, you would make a killer amount of money. If you want to put a few of your guys in, fine. But let ECW be ECW, and he'd have been fine because they were feeding for ECW to come back, but he couldn't keep his hands off of it. And it just went to hell in a handbasket after that. And that was nice that Francine and I were begging not to be on TV, not begging to have a match. And when we do, we find out we weren't, we were sneaking out and driving to the next town. We were like up against, like in a movie, sneaking against the wall trying to get out, running to our cars to get the hell away from there. You got to be there all damn day. You got to be there like 11 o'clock in the morning till it's done at 11 o'clock at night. And then you're not doing anything. You're talking about some long, miserable days. And then plus, it's not what you signed on for. So, and I remember January 17th, 2007 or six, John Laronitis calls me and says, ah, CW, I think we're going to have to release you. And I went, sweet. <laughs> he said, um, yeah, uh, maybe you know, down the road we can pursue this. I'm like, no, I'm good. I said, can I, I said, can I go back to Japan? He's like, yeah, I know you like being over there. He said, you just have a 90-day compete, no-compete clause with TNA. I was like, yeah, you ain't got to worry about that. Nice. So I was happy to get fired from that place. Nice, nice. So money back in ECW compared to money that people make now in the wrestlers, was, is that a considerable amount of difference? Yeah, the ones they make now, they make a hell of a lot more than we did because when I started ECW, we were running four nights a week. I made $75 a night. That's no hotels. No gas, nothing. And I'm driving everywhere. Paul wouldn't fly me. And my first few months in, out of the four nights, I would maybe wrestle one night. So I'm driving to the other three towns, not getting paid, making $75. My first year at ECW, I claimed a $21,000 loss on my taxes. I was sleeping either in my car Bill Wiles, before he and I started tagging, he was gracious enough to let me crash with the ring crew a couple times. Or I remember a few times I would sleep in Jeff Jones with that crew, Jeff Jones' room, and Jeff Jones wouldn't – I wouldn't have a bed. I'd have the floor. I would get a blanket, a pillow. I had to use my clothes as a pillow, and that goof was still charging me part of the room. For sleeping on your clothes? For sleeping on my clothes on the floor, I was still getting charged. And he would never wait for you. Like, if you were following him, he'd go out of walk. Like, you'd be walking around Walmart. He would go on by himself and then get in the car and take off and leave you. Dang. Wow. Wow. So, and then uh, I basically had a breakdown one night in Boston because I was driving everywhere. And this is about the time the dup started. Now, you know, they're friends of mine from here in the Carolinas. And one of the guys' trucks break down. We're in Boston, and we have no way back. We had to go rent a car that cost us extra money that we didn't have. And I remember breaking down to Paul and Tommy. I was like, I, got, I can't live off of 75 bucks a night. I got to do something. And they ended up pushing me to 200 a night. Then we got pushed back to two nights. 
of wrestling. So I was only making $400 a week. And that's when I started wrestling RVD, Carino, Tommy Dreamer, Jerry Lynn, who are making in the thousands a night. And I'm only making $200 a night. And I'm wrestling those guys, putting them over. Mm-hmm. And then it's, I was not making any money at ECW. I remember the video games came out. We had to sign a waiver, a release saying we wouldn't ask for royalties for the video game. Jeez. And I don't, I don't, I never got paid for my I Quit match. I never yeah. got paid for that. I think all the money, all, all the money went back to RBD, if I remember what I owed, oh, because he was owed like ten grand or something, and all the money went to him to come back for that match. So would it be I safe think to that's say, what I Would it be safe to say that they, ECW still owes you money then for your? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I got a whatever it's called when they file bankruptcy. I got that, and I got like I was gonna get a percentage. If I fi- signed it and sent it back, it was like a low percentage, and it was going to be like 500 bucks. I was like, the hell with it. I didn't even sign it. It won't even worth it. Wow. Rico? All right, sorry. So I love that, and I respect that, man. Like, that's for everybody listening. I'm not knocking anybody else who gets it easy, but I'm saying I love people who grind it out who sleep in their cars, who go into truck stops and take showers and they work so hard. It's like, I think they just appreciate it more. We do. We were sleeping six, six guys to a room. It was me and Jack victory, Steve Carino. Okay. Our normal traveling click was me and Carino, Jack victory and Louie dangerously. And then Francine and Tommy were in another car, but in our, my four was sleeping in the, in the room, Jack and Lou, got the bed because they were the veterans. Carino couldn't sleep on the cot, so he was sleeping up under the sink. Our ECW champion was sleeping under the sink. And there was a lot of nights in the beginning, there were six guys to our room before we go to a pay-per-view. And, you know, they always make the, the, the rise and fall of ECW, but if you notice, most of the ones that they had commentate on that or talk about it were the ones that were taken care of. Not the ones like myself, Danny Doran, Roadkill, Chris Chetty, the people that in Francine, the ones like that that weren't taken care of. They didn't hear from our side of it. Wow. The ones that were left behind. Wow. So you mentioned pay-per-view. Uh, what was it? How did it feel in your career at that point where you finally got that call to do your, your pay, the pay-per-view? My The first one was a dark match, uh, even though I did run in – to save, I think, Lita or, you know, Miss Congeniality. And New Jack came in and melted a football game over my head. That was my first interaction. But my very first pay-per-view was Guilty as Charged 2000. And I was supposed to be the dark match against Mikey Whipwreck. And Tommy comes up to me an hour or so before the pay-per-view starts and goes, CW, you and Mikey are first. I'm like, yeah, go. we're first dark. He goes, no, you're first live. And holy hell. You, I was nervous. I couldn't get still. I was shaking. And Joey Styles looks at me and goes, what is wrong with you? And I said, I'm getting ready to go live on pay-per-view. It's my first pay-per-view ever. He said, CW, you and Rob Van Dam tore the house down in Chicago on TV in front of more people that are going to watch this pay-per-view. He says, just relax and be you, man. You'll be fine. So I went out. That was my match where I went, where I beat Mikey. And But my first one, the night, the dark match. I remember um, before I went out, Dreamer come by and grabbed my arm and jerked me to the side. And he goes, you're getting this match tonight, not because you're my friend. 
He said, because you are a hell of a worker. He said, I want you to go out there tonight and I want you to try and steal this damn show so you can take this match and stick it up the ass of those guys at WCW that told you you weren't shit and weren't going to make it in that company. He said, can you do that for me? I was like, I'll damn sure try. Awesome, man. Awesome. There you go. That's good stuff. Rico, you got anything? Uh, yeah, sorry. I was itching. Um, I was gonna. So you were saying like, because uh, you weren't really a fan early on, but when you started kind of getting in the game and everything, was there anybody who you really kind of looked up to? You became a fan of, or maybe you're a fan of now. The guy that's my idol, always been my idol, Bobby Eaton. You don't get any better than that. I wanted to be Bobby Eaton so bad. Like when I first got into wrestling, and I nobody taught me, and you know, you're the mark that I had the. Uh, Midnight Express boots down the side and the, and the tights because I was such a mark for Bobby. To me, Bobby Eaton, I wanted to be Bobby Eaton because I wanted to go out there and be able to wrestle a broomstick or Ric Flair and have a five-star match and not hurt anybody. And to me, that was Bobby Eaton. And it wasn't until a few years ago, like two or three years before Bobby died, that he found out that I was his idol or that he was my idol. Um, he had no idea. And I was such a mark. I mean, I'm still a mark for Bobby, but I was such a mark for him. The very first time I ever got to meet Bobby was at the arena when Paul brought him in to start a feud with me. And I knew I'm going to meet Bobby. So I'm at the ring and I didn't know Bobby was there. And I walked back through the, the, the curtain at the arena and there was two black curtains at the old arena. You walk through one, and then there's a room to the side where, like, the Dudleys and Taz and those guys changed. And then there was a huge area where the rest of us stood. I go to walk through the second curtain, and Bobby's sitting there with Paul Heyman. I stop, and I go in that other room, and I'm like a little schoolgirl getting ready to meet Justin Bieber. I could not breathe. I was hyperventilating. Yeah. I, I had to calm myself down, like – come on, dude, what the hell is wrong with you? I was like, I couldn't breathe because I'm getting ready to go meet Bobby Eaton. And then we do the thing that is on YouTube where uh, Bobby come in and he and I trade punches. And I remember the next night after we did that, uh, RVD pulled me to the side. He said, just letting you know that before you and Bobby squared off, Paul made the entire locker room watch you two guys go at it. And he said, I want you to watch the two best, pun two best punchers in professional wrestling square off. Nice. Awesome. I was like, shit, that's like, that, feel that, good. that was pretty freaking awesome to me. <laughs> right. And then, yeah. as much as I respect Rob and the way I respect Bobby. And then last year, you know, George South, you guys know George South. He is a legend in this game, especially in the, here in the Carolinas. George is a collector. He has his own little museum and he's a collector and he knows how bo close Bobby was to me. So we go do a show together because Bobby, I mean, George works for AML as well. And he had a box of stuff that was Bobby's that he'd give me. And it was Bobby's blockbuster card. It was the letter that WCW mailed Bobby Eaton to tell him he was fired because they never told him. It was a letter that they mailed to him. It was a plaque that had a picture of him and Stan Lane, a plaque that had a picture of him and uh, Stephen Regal when they were the Blue Bloods. It was a pair of Bobby's tights. And it was also the USA tag plaque, the gold plaque off the red USA tag belts that they had that he give me. Wow, that's crazy. So I had that stuff because he says, I know you would never get rid of it and you would keep it. And I was like, nope. 
that is going in my because I don't collect things. The only thing I collect is chess sets, but nothing wrestling. Uh, and that's the first thing I've ever gotten like that wrestling, and that was that's never going anywhere. Wow, that's crazy. Um, you say you use the word mark, and I I'll be honest, let me I'm mean, truth be known, okay? We're all probably all marks. Yep. To some story, to some point, and anyways, I can understand the feeling you got when you um, knew you were going to go up against that guy. Every time I either Instagram, Facebook message, email, I go, no one's going to, no one's going to answer. No one's gonna. But when you guys answer, like, I mean, I've been so giddy about this and I get nervous. I was nervous up to about yesterday <laughs> and I was like, dude, I've done enough of these podcasts, you know, he's just another guy. He's going to talk about his career, but I'm not going to lie. I was for the last week. I've been going, I told my wife, my wife, Edie, I go, Edie, oh my God, oh my God. I get to talk to C.W. Anderson. Oh my God, you, know, you don't understand. We, and we watched, we watched some of your matches. I'm like, you know, so I get that. I really do. And by the way, oh, congratulations on you and your fiance too. Thank you. Um, be, is a wedding coming up like recently here? It's September 7th of next year. We got a few weddings this year to go to. My nieces is one of them um, in August. So we got a few weddings. So Brittany is going to, push you back to next year till things calm down. You know, we got engaged a few years ago, right before COVID hit and we were going to get married as soon as COVID pissed off. Uh, so, but we just, we just, you know, we're in no rush. We, she is a fantastic woman. She treats me so good. I mean, there's a huge age difference between us, but I've never can, you know, she's 27 years old, but she has got the mind and she's that old soul because she's asleep right now. She goes to sleep before I do. <laughs> nice. There you go. If she, if she was a normal twenty-seven-year-old, I wouldn't be with her because I can't. I can't hang. And I, I get. I get the part of being a mark and and being kind of giddy to some extent. The first time I wrestled Dusty Rhodes, it was in a bull rope match for his promotion. On the outside, I'm C.W. Anderson. You know, they're strapping the bull rope to us, and I'm big bad C.W. Anderson about to whoop Dusty Rhodes' ass. On the inside, I'm twelve-year-old Chris Wright going, "Holy shit, I'm wrestling Dusty Rhodes." so man we're all we're all marks i did that i wrestled the rock and roll express a few years ago with shane douglas was my tag partner and jj Dillon was our manager and we had bobby to hit him and jj is tossing his shoe to me to catch and again i'm 12 year old chris wright getting ready to catch jj Dillon's shoe (laughs) so man you got to be a mark for this business to an extent because if you don't why are you even here yeah exactly you know, on the podcast uh, about four months ago, we had Ken Anderson on here. And what a brother, great guy, man. What yeah, a great guy. Amazing. And my brother, he marked out so bad that the reason, the way we got him to come on the podcast is my brother was like month, two months in a row would do this um, Ken Anderson um, gimmick where he'd, you know, drop the mic and do Mr. You know, whatever. So we had a Ken, we had an Anderson off. So both of them had a chance to do the what Ken Anderson does best. And so I have to send that video to you. It's a clip. So. Man, he's such a good guy. But last year, uh, Preston and I, because Brittany is our valet, she's basically, um, she's basically Miss Elizabeth out there. She doesn't fight. She doesn't do anything. She's, she's there. She's Miss Elizabeth. So we're wrestling OGK last year. Matt Taven and Mike Bennett, who are, they're, man, they're such a good tag team. And you, know, you got Maria with them as well. Well, Brittany is a huge mark for Maria. I mean, huge mark. So 
we're standing in the ring and, you know, we're getting ready to wrestle and Maria grabs the mic and she says, who's, who's this woman with you? She starts cutting a promo on Britney. She, she, so she hits the Britney Spears line. Oh, it's Britney. She got ready to say, bitch. And I look over at Britney and she's smiling like she's marking out. And I look at her, I said, stop smiling. <laughs> she has to smile off because she's she's that little kid again watching somebody she idolizes cut a promo on her. <laughs> she goes, awesome. "Oh, sorry." Awesome. <laughs> awesome, you can say man. whatever you want to say about me. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. She is, that's exactly what she said. Maria's like, "Can I say?" I said, "Say whatever you want to say, please." Cut a promo <laughs> on her. She and she's Brittany sitting there like smiling and I was like, "Really?" I, but I can't say anything because I would do the same thing. Absolutely. Um, Rico, you got anything? I was going to So do you think, like, when do you see the possibility of, you know what, I'm putting my boots and my tights up for good, never, ever touching them again? I tried it. Uh, you know, I've told this a couple of times, and I'm, I'm completely open and honest about a lot of things in my life. Because you never know who's listening. You never know who's going to hear these things. You know, wrestlers, sometimes these guys have great glamorous lives. And sometimes we live in dark holes. And there was a video put of me a few years ago where I tried to retire. Because I was in a very dark spot in my life. I found out my now ex-wife was seeing somebody else. Um, and it sent me overboard. I tried retiring because I thought making her happy would bring her back and it never did. So that night I tried killing myself. Um, I, cause I was, I was in a bad place. And thank God I had somebody here, which was Brittany who, who saved me. And I tried putting the boots down. I tried walking away because I was done mm -hmm. I, for, for a year because my ex-wife made me hate wrestling. She didn't like wrestling. She didn't like me around. She didn't like CW at all. And I had grown to be CW, the ECW CW, which was an asshole. I wasn't Chris anymore. So when I walked away a few years ago, it was kind of the best thing I ever did because it got me away from, you know, the whole you can't see the forest for the trees. It got me away from wrestling. It got me appreciating my life again, appreciating a lot of things that I took for granted and realizing, you know what? I miss wrestling. I miss the brotherhood. I miss traveling. I miss being on the road especially being on the road with Brittany, I missed those things. So I came back after a few months. Um, and it was one of the best things I ever did because, you know, I'm 52 years old. I'm 205 pounds. I'm the best shape I've ever been in. ECW, I was 260, 250, sometimes even 240. But I'm 205 right now. And one of my friends calls me Benjamin Button because it looks like I reverse aging. That's what he says anyway. But... Um, and to, I know it's kind of a long way to get your, your question, Rico, but I don't know. I mean, George South in his 60s, he's still wrestling. Ricky Morton is still wrestling. It's something we just can't walk away from. I can't walk away from because it's been such a huge part of my life for 30 years. And I love the wrestling part, but I also love the people I get to see on the weekends too, my second family. When I was at ECW, I would always tell my mom, hey, it's time to go to work. You know, I would kiss her by and tell her, I'm going to work, go to wrestle. She's like, you're not going to wrestle. You're going to see your second family. So that's what wrestling is to me. And to put it down, I don't know. I always said if I got injured really bad again, I'd walk away. There's so many variables that I would say, 
you know, I blew my back out at hardcore homecoming wrestling Spike Dudley and I couldn't walk. I was in a bed for 28 days. And I said, if I could ever walk again, I wouldn't wrestle. I was 2005. And here it is, 2023, and I'm still wrestling. Boy, I so, want you to continue I, on much yes. further down the road. Thank you for that story. Thank as, you for as long, your heart. as long as I can still wrestle and still put out C.W. Anderson and still be that person, as far as in the ring, I'm still going to perform. When I stop giving that what people used to see of C.W., I think it's time to walk away because I'm doing myself a disservice and I'm doing the fans a disservice. I don't want to be that veteran that lollipops his way through a match and they're, they're looking and like, man, that ain't the CW I used to know. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And thank you for opening up that part of your life that um, it could be uncomfortable. I appreciate it. I know, I know Rick, you and I appreciate it. All right. Sorry. You know, you went through that. You know, yeah, everything. You stayed with us because we get to see you. Yep. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those, they say rock bottoms of college education that they got so many sayings for everything you go through. And once you go through these things, you learn to appreciate. And I, when people, people always ask me during the, how's your day going? I said, you know what? I, I woke up on the right side of the dirt. So anything after that's a plus. I love that saying. <laughs> yeah. So I have a bunch of names that I'm not because we touched on a lot of the names um, that I had written down. But one of my favorite ECW wrestlers was Raven. WCW wrestler was Raven. Did you ever have any run-ins with him? Did you experience any time with him? I love Raven. Um, I used to go stay at Raven's house when I was at the power plant because, you know, Lodi was one of my students. And, of course, Lodi being Raven's sign guy, I got close to Raven. Uh living at you know going to his house when I when we were at the power plant during the week um and then I would travel with him a little bit and so when he came back to ECW he and I were already close from that I remember one time him and uh Tracy Smothers almost got into a fight over me wow. because R Raven was giving me the business about something I was doing in the ring and he was being a little bit rough but it was Raven so I I just I listened to him but I know how Raven is because experiencing him from, you know, the years before. And Tracy thought he was just berating me for no reason and being belligerent to me. So him and Raven got into it pretty heavily. And I finally had to tell Tracy, I look, Raven and I got a pass, you know, from back at WCW and stuff. And, you know, I, I love Raven to death. I think a lot of him. So it was always my greatest compliments from him when he was telling me i'd ask him raven what can i do what how can i get better you know what am i doing wrong he's like cw you're doing everything perfect man he said you know i tell you if you were he said but it's always a pleasure working with you wow. so coming from raven because raven is a freaking genius um in and out of the ring and that's a huge compliment coming from him i i loved it i loved watching him he was just <laughs> one sick dude and i mean all his his mind, you can tell he had a mind for the for the um, business. He does. He was very, very, everything he did was very awesome. It, so, it made, it, everything he did made sense and was yeah. for a point, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. I was just remembering, like, uh, back in the day, I was always WWF before it was WWE. And I never actually watched ECW yet. And it was, like, right when you guys started and my brother, we were doing the backyard wrestling, and he did this moonsault, and then he points to the sky like Sabu, and I'm like, what in the world are you doing, man? <laughs> and it just, like, 
he was like, you got to watch ECW, man. It's just, it, it's a different atmosphere. I yeah. promise you, you're going to love it. You know, what's funny, Rico, with that is, you know, growing up, I never had cable. We, I didn't get cable until I was like 23 years old. And it was the huge satellite that you could, you know, pick up Pluto on. It was the big one that was 20 <laughs> foot in the air and it turned. And I'm turning it one day and it runs across Madison Square Garden. Stop. And ECW was on. I had no idea what ECW was. And that match was Sabu and somebody else. And Sabu does a pullover, just does a pullover into a Frankensteiner. And I'm immediately hooked. And I was, I was such a Sabu mark coming up watching him. I even got one of his videos from RF video that had the table signed by Sabu and didn't find out till I got to ECW that Rob Feinstein signed some of them as well. So <laughs> he, he smartened me up with that. And the first time I wrestled Sabu, that's on the network as well. I was, I am shoot running from him because I'm scared to death of him. I was scared to death of Sabu in the ring when I, my very first match. After that, I loved wrestling with him. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've heard he's a, I've heard he's a pretty great guy right there, man. He is awesome. And after you know, Sabu doesn't respect you until he wrestles you. That was just the way he was brought up. And that night in New Orleans, he wanted to wrestle Bill Wiles because him and Bill were friends. He runs off, asks Paul, can he rest Bill? He comes back and says, CW, it's me and you. Oh, shit. I get in the <laughs> ring. You see me run from him. And the first thing, the first we lock up, I'm so scared. When we lock up and break, I don't protect myself. And he shoot punches me in the face <laughs> and tells me never to do it again. Got it. I learned from there. And after that, he, when we came in the back, he said, I'll rush you any day of the week. Wow. He said, you don't hurt me. He said, we have a good match. So, yeah. But I, I really think a lot of Sabu. So, Tom, um, if you don't mind me, um, I want to ask him, no. who was the, the toughest or the hardest hitter in ECW? Like, you're like, you get hit, and you're like, man, wow. That Dan is Dangerous was Mike Awesome. He's a freaking goof or was a goof. Um, the hardest hitter, Masato Tanaka. Mm. I never wrestled him at ECW, but we got to wrestle in Japan a lot, and he, he made my world go white one night. He knocked me out, but he – he hits hard, but Mike Awesome hit hard, but he was unsafe. Mm, there's a I mean, he was, yeah, there's a complete difference. I mean, balls hit hard with his chair shots, but it was safe. Axel was the same way. Mike Awesome was just dangerous. And also Mike Awesome was, you get in the ring with him. The first time I got in the ring with him, I'm four months at ECW and we call the match and we get in and I lock up with him and he had forgotten everything. I'm like, dude, you're our ECW world heavyweight champ. I'm, and I'm calling the match. <laughs> this is a little bit backwards here. <laughs> I, have, I have a quick story about Mike Awesome, why I have so much heat with him was years at later, we're in Japan. This is early 2000s, and he's brought in for those hustle pay-per-views. And we see him. It's myself, Steve Carino, uh, Loki, and Spanky, Brian Kendrick. We're in Tokyo, Rapongi, which is Times Square, Rapongi. We see Mike Awesome. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. He's walking towards us. He's got sunglasses on. He walks up to us. Now, mind you, I wrestled Mike Awesome a dozen times at ECW. We were together at MOW, so he knows who I am. He walks up, Steve Carino, man, because he's blazed out of his mind. What's up, man? Big high five, big dap, big squeeze. Uh, Low-key, man, what's going on, brother? It's good to see you. He never met Spanky before in his life. Spanky, man, I've never met you. I've heard such great things about you. So good to meet you, brother. He looks at me and goes, hey, man. And Carino leans up and goes, he don't know who you are. And I go, 
Mike, it's CW, man. CW Anderson. Yeah, man. What? Hey, what's what's going on? He had no clue who I was. <laughs> so after that, he had a complete heat with me from here on out. Nice, <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yeah. I hear the name New Jack. Um, uh, the guy Adrian whispered from XIW down here. He tells me stories about New Jack and him went balls to the walls with that with the chairs everywhere throughout the whole um, arena. Is New Jack as uh, hard ass as he uh, as he's made out to be? If you cross him, but uh, a lot of people knew this that me and Jack were like this. Uh, he he lived down the road from here in Greensboro, and you know I still talk to his wife every so often, check on her. I didn't know how much Jack lo- loved me until after he. I knew me and Jack were close, but his wife Jen, she goes, he adored you, CW. She said he talked such good things about you. He always called me Big Head because I always had a, was, you know, my head's big. He always called me Big Head, but he loved me to death, and I loved him. The day I found out he was gone, Mike Keener messaged me one day and said, "Hey, we lost Jack." I said, "Lost him where?" And he said, "Jack." He didn't say New Jack or Jack Victory. He said, New Jack, he said he died. I broke down on my, I mean, it still hurts. It's, I broke down on my couch crying because Jack and I were so close. I would, he would always come to AML and hang out with us. He would always come to these little local shows. Uh, we talk every so, every week. He texts me. The last text he sent to me, he wanted to make sure I'd finished his book. And in the ring, petrified of him? Yes, but easy. Jack took care of you. Jack didn't hurt me. He hurt, he never hurt anybody intentionally that he didn't mean to, that didn't cross him. Nice. But Jack was a phenomenal, Jack was a great guy. Easy to work. Even better outside the ring as a person. We've got so many road stories with him. So many stories with Jack. Um, he's one of those that you want to see if they got to take somebody, take somebody else. Don't take Jack. Right. He's gone too soon, but it, there's a huge misconception of him. Jack just made it look dangerous. He just wasn't dangerous. Gotcha. Yeah. We got a question from the chat. C.W. Anderson versus Cantero. Kinemora. Kinemora was a great match. Thank you. It was uh, White Plains, New York. He was the first Japanese guy I ever wrestled. And Kinemora kayfabe me on English. He speaks perfect English. But he actually had Tajiri translate the match for us. It wasn't until I got to Japan and started working with him over there at zero one that I found out that Ken Moore spoke perfect English. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, man, there's so much we can talk about. I want to respect your time, though. So uh, you're good, man. If, if we can always do a part two, if you got a few more things, uh, we're we're good. Okay, because yeah, I I have down here good road stories, good rib stories. I mean, we need to come back to touch on those. I'm sure you got lots of good road stories. And stuff. Uh, the, 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 there's rib stories upon rib stories with that. Um, so let's make a deal. My... Let's make a deal. You tell, you share one of them and then uh, okay. th- three or four months down the road, I'll hit you up. We'll redo it. We'll call it uh, CW Anderson road and ribs. I got two rib, two road stories. One involves new Jack and one involves, Dreamer and Francine, I'll tell you those two. The one with Jack's kind of quick. Um, Jack got hurt somewhere. We were somewhere in Missouri and we're driving to St. Louis. So Jack wanted me to drive him to St. Louis because he couldn't drive. 
if you've ever been around St. Louis around that area, it's nothing but fields and corn. It's flat for miles upon miles, and it's middle of the night. And I've been driving for felt like hours, and Jack was passed out. We're in a Mitsubishi Eclipse, so we are crammed in this damn car. He's passed out, and off it seems like hundreds of feet. I see this huge had to be a 30 foot cross just burning there was a huge kkk cross burning <laughs> what the hell i look over and i like pop jack on the arm i said jack wake up jack wake up he comes to us at a point i said jack what do you think about that he looks and goes keep driving cw keep driving <laughs> <laughs> um and passes back out and one we're in applebee's one day going to a show and i'm still early in my traveling click and it's me and lou and jack and steve carino and franny and dreamer sitting in applebee's and i'm really quiet i have not said a word like the whole time i'm to myself we order our food and, it, and i think i ordered like a rib basket with rice or something like that it was like little ribs and rice something simple it takes them 45 to 50 minutes to bring our food out they finally, that's my computer, by the way, closing now. They finally bring our food out. They put everybody's down, and she gets to me and dumps my food right in front of me on the floor. Francine says it looked like I'm a kid that just found out there's no Santa Claus. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm looking at my food, and this is 260 pounds, CW, so my ass is hungry. I had ate all day. And she gets down on her knees, and she looks up at me, and she goes, I'm so sorry. I've been having a really bad day. And I scream, no fucking shit. I scream at her. <laughs> Which, coming from this quiet church mouse, they start laughing and turn away. And she goes, I can bring some more out. It only takes five minutes. I can bring rice out. It only takes five minutes. I said, no, you fucking can't because this took 50 minutes. I said, just give him my fucking chicken wings and just leave me alone. I berate this poor girl. I felt like such an ass afterwards, but I'm sitting there and I'm pissed off just eating my chicken wings with them laughing their ass off at me because I scream at this girl. It's like they didn't, they didn't never heard this coming from me. That's awesome, man. That's just, that's just two of them. That is awesome. So can we make that, can we make that happen? CW man, you let me know, man, I'm here for you guys. Well, I would get more stories. All right, appreciate man. it, man. Yeah. Everything in closing, Rico. Uh, no, I just appreciate your time. Just thank you for the stories, and I can't wait. You know, a couple months down the road, if we can get you again. Yeah, man, that'd be that'd be an honor, guys. Look, thank y'all for having me. Uh, sometimes I get a little long winded. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stuff I delve into, but I appreciate everybody that w- watching this is going to watch this. All my years, you know, you can find me through social media, ECW Anderson's everything. Um, I always answer. It might take me a day, but I always answer everybody. Um, and I, I try to keep everything 100% and keep it real, whether you like it or you don't. You know, that's on you. But I appreciate everyone, my fans and people that hated me and the people that listen to it, because without you guys and without the fans, there's no CW. Oh, we really you appreciate got- you being 100% real, too. Yeah, thank yeah. you. That you, this, Yeah, you're the, probably as real as anybody got has ever been on the show. And, um, so work, what promotions before you go, what promotion can people find you um, and what states are those in? Right now, uh, Virginia and North Carolina are the primary ones. And my primaries is AML. It's at AML Wrestling. They're also the ones that do WrestleCade, man. If you've never been to WrestleCade, if you've never, 
it is Christmas for wrestlers. Um, it's in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's a three-day weekend. There's like five wrestling shows. We usually get about 15,000 people in traffic. You got 100 superstars, past, present, and future that are there signing autographs. WrestleCade weekend is fantastic. And the other one is MATW. It's called Mid-Atlantic Territory Wrestling. That runs in Virginia and North Carolina. You know, I'm right down the road this weekend for them. Uh, but those are my two mainstays right now. And you can find those. And if you go through me at social media at ECW Anderson, you'll always know where I'm at with those. Awesome. Huge Pop Wrestling fans, thank you for joining the chat. Um, CW, thank you for being on here. Hang out in the lobby real quick. I want let's sure. go, we can talk about it. So, but um, Rico, thank you. Hang in the lobby. Um, we're gonna give this guy one some more respect, and um, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah.